We hear a lot of talk about the role of the CIO and the great opportunities that are presented to CIOs through digital transformation and our new digital environment. But what does that really mean? Today, on episode number 291 of CXO Talk, we are exploring this issue with the global CIO of one of the largest organizations in the world. I'm Michael Krigsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. Now, before we begin, I want you to, right this moment, invite a friend, tell your friends, tell your family, come watch, and be sure to subscribe on YouTube right now. So I want to say thank you to Art Hu, who is the global CIO of Lenovo Group. Art, how are you? And thanks for taking time to be with us today. Michael, it's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. I'm a longtime viewer, and I'm very happy to be on the other side of the webcast, so to speak, for once. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm just thrilled that, uh, that you're here with us, and you're in China. I'm here in Boston, and you're in China right at the moment. Yeah, that's right. So we're doing something a little bit different than the regular, but it's always good uh, as a part of being global to try things new. So happy we could make this work. Art, uh, please, we, we all know the name, uh, the brand Lenovo, but tell us a little bit more about the company. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an interesting question. I think everyone knows about Lenovo and thinks of, oh, IBM ThinkPads. But in the past few years, we've changed significantly. We're now $45 billion in revenue. We have a presence and customers in over 160 countries. We're one of Interbrand's top brands globally. And last year, we were number 226 on the Fortune 500. And what's most interesting is we're definitely not just the Lenovo of ThinkPads and laptops anymore. We also have an intelligent device group that carries and we offer as solutions anything that computes uh, for consumers that you can hold in different form factors, which includes mobile phones, laptop, desktop, but also things like AR and VR. And then the other side, we also are offering data center solutions, not just servers, but also storage network and increasingly powering the computing revolution and the AI revolution. So Lenovo has its hands across a very broad range of technology and the consumer brand is really just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, that's absolutely right. One of the things that we like to say is we're not a PC company in the sense of personal computer, but in the future, it's really about personal computing, so a different kind of PC. Now, you're global CIO, and please tell us, what, is, what does that mean at Lenovo, and what is the scope of your responsibilities? So that's a good question, and one I do think about quite a bit. I, I think on there's two facets that I uh, work on, and one facet is what we would call more on the uh, run and grow the existing business, and I'll talk about why I put those together in a second. And the other is really about transforming the business. Right? Digital transformation is, of course, it's hard to receive a journal or a newsletter that don't mention those words. Uh, but that is also the other aspect of the role that I focus heavily on, right? which is around digital and business transformation. I, I think on the, run the, on the run the business, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I think you know, everyone who's watching today uh, would understand, right? Making sure the data center, your hybrid cloud is running, email is running, right? Security incidents are being managed. I think it's really on the grow and the transform the business that's quite interesting because there's a lot of net new content, which is very different than 
keeping the business running. And it's an entirely different set of interactions and different problems to go tackle and solve. When you talk about grow the business, I think that gets right to the heart of the key issue because historically the CIO role was about that uh, keeping the business running, that operational excellence. And so, so when you think about growing the business now inside Lenovo, what, what does that actually mean? So I think this one also is in two parts. One is about growing the existing business. And on that aspect, because it's fairly well understood there, it's about how do we provide uh, better capabilities, more efficiency, uh, better experience for known product line, known offerings. So in that sense, the solution space is much more around something that's much better understood. It's something that the company already has uh, a competency around. And therefore, they tend to be more linear or incremental. The other aspect around growing the business is on what I just mentioned on the digital transformation. And that's where some discontinuity or areas where we're not so good today or we're trying to grow into or we're trying to learn about, about whether there's a fit on something that we could make a difference and bring value to the market. So on the digital transformation side, that's the other aspect. And that's marked by as I mentioned, discontinuity, because it's not something where it's as clear necessarily what you have to do right out of the gate. And what is the the, the role or the place of the CIO in that digital transformation side? So I think at Lenovo, because it requires a melding of technology fluency with business insight, I'm looked at as the person who brings that to the table. Uh, I think there's a very simple litmus test, and I think you can actually track it if you're in any meeting. But at Lenovo, if you think, look at executive committee and other senior leadership team meetings, when topics like these come up and people ask questions such as, why are our business capabilities not competitive? Right? Why aren't we moving faster? Right? Uh, and then you watch where the heads swivel to, they tend to swivel to me. <laughs> Uh, and so that's a very litmus, that's a very easy litmus test that I have, which is right, the business teams are really looking for someone who can bring the combination of technology insight and meld it with the business problems to find something that we can talk to talk about together, right? That we can unlock new possibilities. Now, presumably, those chairs, those heads, swivel towards you because technology is intertwined through every part of of any organizations, any businesses, um, operations today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, from, from a trend line perspective, that's become uh, more and more true. If I think about uh, some of the discussions, I have now been the CIO at Lenovo for a little more than a year and a half, so fairly uh, new in my tenure. I, I think uh, even compared with three or four years ago, the tenor of the discussions is very different. I think the business just in the last few years has made significant strides. And I think there's also external pressures because so many others are facing similar trends that the see, it's, it's now front and center in a way it never was before. It used to be, oh, right, the sales guys are doing something or it's all about the product or it's all about something else. Now, more and more, we see that the critical capabilities on whether it's go to market or running efficiently, it's all tied with technology. So there's fewer and fewer domains where technology is not either A, relevant or B, critical path for helping achieve a business outcome. So the key then is you you embody both the, the 
technology background, but equally business sophistication. Is that a fair way to describe it, to put it? Yes. And I think that's one of the keys. If you bring just the technology background and you start talking about it in, in those terms, rather than framing it in terms of business outcomes or business hypotheses that we're trying to test, it just goes over the head and it doesn't stick, right? You become less relevant to the discussion. Art, your background uh, includes uh, business roles. For example, you before you became a CIO, you were a consultant at McKinsey. Yes, that's correct. And I think having uh, that breadth and being able to go deep in some areas, but also having a wide range of exposure to different situations and solving challenging problems uh, provides a good grounding on how you can integrate some of that business experience with the technology credibility and know-how. One of the the issues that I see across many companies is that the CIO does not necessarily, the heads don't swivel towards the CIO in the way that they do at Lenovo. And, and so what are the, what are the, the differences or what are the, what are the characteristics of Lenovo that make this work? I think a large part of it is we have had a history where we had to do put a lot of focus on technology and transition and transformation. And this goes back to kind of Lenovo being a global company with Chinese roots. In 2004, when we announced, in 2005, when we closed the initial uh, PC division acquisition from IBM, we immediately embarked on building a global platform. And so right from the get-go, it became so clear that in order to become a truly global company, rather than one that was just China-focused and had some rest-of-world business, in order to become a truly global company, what happened was it, technology out of the gate was very important. And it was literally one of the board-level items and seen as critical path on how could we as part of making the integration work, it wasn't just the organizational integration, but also the technology and process integration. And I think that's carried through. And I think it's carried through because we've also had the ups and the downs. Uh, I, I think one thing that sometimes happen is it's easy for technology to be taken for granted or fade into the background. For right or for wrong, but of one of the things of which I'm a beneficiary is that Lenovo has definitely had periods in its more distant path where technology was off track, shall we say, in a very high profile way. And that as a company, we figured out, right, it's right when we say IT or the systems are off track, it's actually not really us. The real statement is really the systems and the business teams aren't coming together in the right way. And so I think very early on, we figured out if we don't have the business and the technology teams talking and working together very closely, it just doesn't work. And that kind of a culture and awareness has uh, I think for the better stayed with us through today. And it's something that I think helps the discussion for the leadership team to have that awareness of how uh, critical it is, especially as on digital transformation, it's not just the finance system or the ERP systems, but it's actually branching out into, there's no place that, uh, that the technology enablement isn't anymore. So the, it sounds like there's a deep respect for the role of technology, not just uh, on an operating level, operational excellence projects and so forth, but for the strategic contribution that technology can and needs to make 
to the business going beyond just efficiency. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of it is because we see what happens when we don't treat it with that respect and that level of attention. Uh, but also from an external orientation perspective, even if that weren't true, uh, the technology discussion and how it ma uh, matches with the business moves to the forefront because we see our competitors, we see adjacent spaces and people taking actions. And if and we see that if we don't have the right technology discussion, we don't have the right architecture to enable the business response, whether it's to, uh, to, to, to attempt something new or to roll out, it becomes an issue very quickly. So that helps keep things at the forefront. So so you're looking then as well at the uh, internal IT architecture and how that links to the broader strategic goals of the business. Yes, and I think that's also uh, a little bit newer because, or it, it really forces the discussion around how to build that bridge between what historically you would say Right, enterprise architecture and technology architecture. And you, that sounds really far away from right, being market responsive and being agile in the business. But it's totally not anymore because we see that um, right, those things directly impact our ability. And so if we frame it in those terms, you actually have the business in a good way caring about, hey, how is that architected? Is that loosely coupled? Why does the critical path run through that particular integration gateway? Doesn't that slow me down? And if that slows me down here, shouldn't we think about refactoring? So it's quite interesting. What maybe a few years ago people would have imagined that's just architecture speak. I'm not sure how that's relevant. Right? I actually have business leaders who are proactively coming to me and talking about things like a shared architecture right? and how we can actually make things more uh, as part of the API economy and things should be service oriented, right? Things which would be kind of an enterprise architect's dream from four or five years ago are actually things that if you don't go talk to the business, they're coming to me to ask about how those things are relevant because they see if we can reuse more quickly, if we can respond more quickly, that translates directly into better time to uh, time to market. And that's something they care about. And that's how it becomes very relevant. I'm smiling at the idea of business people talking talking with you in this way. How did you how did you do that? I mean, this is something that that CIOs really struggle with. Usually the business people, you know, they hear they hear IT jargon, they don't know what it means and they completely turn off. So how did how did you bridge that gap? <laughs> and I'm now it's my turn to smile because I think this has also been an iterative journey for me. Right. There have definitely been times where people would look at me and I'm like, OK, I've lost the plot. Right. I clearly went a little bit too technical for the discussion. Uh, so by calibrating around and understanding what the business problems are, I've been able to uh, kind of put on different hats. And it's something that I'm on my teams constantly. Right? If we're within an internal hardcore technology and architecture review, then it's totally OK to have Right? You're a very you're very technical hat on because that's what the situation requires. But when you walk into a business meeting where someone has a very different lens about what they care about, that hat goes off and the other one comes on. And so I don't have a I think through just iteration, right, which is kind of a fancy way for saying trial and error. Right? I've been able to figure out what is the level of engagement that and it varies by stakeholder. There's not a one answer fits all. Um, and so over time, you, you, you figure out what's the degree of technology speak that you can use and still match, but ultimately still linking 
uh, to business outcomes. Right? So for one stakeholder might care a lot about standardization of processes. And so you can talk about how a shared service architecture actually makes that easier to deploy and how they can actually run a global structure rather than run parallel geo-based or segment-based structures. Right? For the other example I mentioned, right, a shared service architecture might be most impactful for their rapid iteration on a new product line or a go-to-market model. And that's what they might uh, care about. So that's that's from one aspect, which is I've had to try a lot of different formulas and, and figuring out for the various stakeholders what's worked. The other one, I really think this is you can't underestimate because it's not just me or any one person. I think the surrounding environment for most business leaders, they feel the pressure. And I'll give you a very interesting example. I pulled up a reviewed uh, steering committee review document the other day, and I thought it was great. It talked about how we were going to uh, go agile, right? how we were going to co-locate teams, how we didn't waterfall way for certain situations. They wanted a tool chain that had continuous, right, all this stuff. And I, and I, I kind of, I'm like, this is, a, this is really a great deck. I wonder who put it together. And I thought it would be one of my guys. And it totally wasn't. It was a business team's deck about how they wanted to work with the IT team in an agile model and co-locate and get a scrum master right, and have a burn down chart and groom the backlog. And so I, I think in, in general, because the environment is such, especially for people who are trying to respond more quickly, I'm telling you, if you don't come talk to them about it, they're going to find you. Or even worse, maybe they don't find you. They just go find someone else to go have that conversation with. And you definitely don't want that. So the issue then, it seems, as you're describing, is the business people now understand that speed of execution uh, for, for their projects, for their goals, relies on technology, and therefore they should have a better understanding and a closer working relationship with the people who are supplying that technology. Yes, no, absolutely. And I think sometimes there, you have to get past the initialization or the bootstrapping problem, uh, which is in many cases uh, that closer working relationship uh, is actually beneficial to both parties to go do. But there is definitely a, a, a forming and storming here, I have a very short anecdote as well, but it's among one of my favorites. So in one of these services businesses, uh, when right, because they, they wanted work delivered in a way that was consistent where Agile could help, right? A lot of uncertainty, wanted to change things a lot at a high pace and what, had a broad direction for exactly what the path to go there was. So it, it sounded like a really good fit for Agile. So we tried it with them and we thought it would be a match made in heaven and they hated it. It was awful. I, I got escalations every couple of days or every week for about three or four months where they said, I can't believe you're making me sit with the IT team. Why do I have to look at the prioritization daily? This is not my job. I'm doing your job. You're wasting my time. Right? And so I thought we were going to have to pull the plug and just go back. And then something interesting happened that stopped. And then by month five, Right. The complaints gradually ramped down, and I think the team got into a good working rhythm. And then once they got into a steady state, the transformation was complete. So this was a good case because the business leader now says, I can't imagine working any other way. In fact, I refuse to go back to any other way of working. Uh, so it's not always smooth. And, for, and, and not all business teams turn out like that. But in that particular case, we found the right fit. And through a lot of the forming, 
it was just at the end, the delivery spoke for itself. So there's a certain amount of uh, training, coaching that needs to take place to get the business up to speed on these, these rather technical IT concepts. Absolutely. And it's not just the business teams. Uh, when you said a certain amount, I would say actually very high. Right? As with anything on change management, I think there's a lot of energy that goes into making the case, right? the theory of the case on why you would pursue a change. And it's funny, even though my team also has business transformation responsibilities, when it comes down to making change happen, we're all human. So my team all suffer from nimbyism, right? not in my backyard. Change is good for that guy over there, right? but not so much for me. Uh, so when I say it's not just with the business, even on my own teams, we have to put a tremendous amount of effort on equipping people, uh, not only with the right tools, but also with the right mindset and the right expectations of what the journey will look like and why that ultimately, if done right, leads to better outcomes, leads to upskilling of the team as well. Um, and this one was important here because within our team, as we started our own transformation, uh, we have something that I've branded as transformation 2.0, right? It's just an, it's just a, it's an, it's an umbrella to catch all these things and to give the team a visual identity and something to rally around. But what we found is that people just took things like agile and they used it like a sticker on themselves. They used it like a sticker. So suddenly it said art wants everyone to be agile and Lo and behold, the next day, the report started coming in. We were 95% agile overnight, which is, of course, totally false and bogus. No, nothing happens that quickly. But what had happened was people said, oh, right, I'm agile, right? Uh, see, I have a backlog, right? Or I'm agile, right? I have a scrum master, or I'm calling myself a product leader. I, I'm agile now. Uh, and so, right, it's just, it's on both sides. It was, right, the story on the business was we had to spend a lot of time with the business on how it works. But the same is true for us. There's no automatic assumption that, oh, right, the BT, in, in Lenovo, we're, all, we're known as BT IT, business transformation on IT. So within Lenovo, there's no, natural, there's no good reason to assume the BT IT guys just automatically know how to make the transition. So there's an equal amount of handholding right, and care that needs to go in and bringing the team along this as well. It sounds like you like you helped guide your IT organization from being what I sometimes call a, a traditional IT versus or a traditional CIO versus digital IT or digital CIO. And so it sounds like there was there was a lot of training and talent management on on the IT side as well, as you're describing. Yes. And I would say um not to quibble on words, but I, I think of it as more an expansion because transitioning feels to me like you're leaving that behind. Uh, and I've tried to establish something that's inclusive for my team. Uh, and I think that's important because just going back to where we started, uh, even if you're a digital CIO and you would want to apply that label to yourself, you don't get relief from running the business. Right? You know, no one's going to be like, you're a great digital CIO, but man, my, my private cloud just crashed and it's been down for longer than you committed in your SLA. Uh, and so in my view, it's, you know, for the team, it was very important coming from a history of having worked in that model for a long time and very successfully. There's nothing wrong with it per se. And so the framing that I took with my team was, that's great. Let's not lose the discipline around execution and operations that get us here, but we need to widen our horizons, right? We can't just do that. What, right, I think Marshall Goldsmith has a book, what got you there won't, or what got you here 
won't get you there. And so it's very simply saying, let's keep all the elements of what made us good at some of the traditional things. And there's another world out there that we get to go explore as well. So how do we introduce and welcome elements of that and start putting that in? I will be the first to say though, it's a work in progress. I think any CIO that says we're perfect, right? We're, you know, or I think there are very, very few CIOs that would be able to say that, yes, right, we're at the nirvana where all those things are true. And so I've also had to recognize different teams move at uh, different paces, right? And their endpoints based on uh, their area of the business and the capabilities and the domains they support uh, are different, right? And in fact, that makes sense. But on first blush, you don't right? You don't necessarily understand. I didn't understand that. My, my finance team, maybe they don't need to be agile all the time. The general ledger, right? Things around accounting. Yeah. We don't need to iterate constantly on those. And so it's actually okay if they retain a mix of agile plus traditional waterfall delivery methodology. Uh, and so I found that to be uh, interesting as, as well. So it sounds like you're, you, you, as you described it, have the, you, you maintain the discipline and, the rigor of keeping these systems running and running it the, the way they need to, and then layer on top of that. What, what are you, what are you layering on top of that? How would you, how do you describe it? Ah, that's a very good question. Um, and I think what we're layering on top is how do we look at what I think of as a cornucopia of new technologies right, beyond the traditional, you know, package software, uh, that Lenovo had been very heavily reliant upon, right? So how do we expand our, open our eyes, lift our heads, and then look at this vast array of new and emerging technologies to see what possibilities that unlocks? Just to go back for a second, I think that's particularly important on why I said expand rather than transition from. Uh, and because one of the first things I made a big point to my team when I first became CIO is that I said, everybody needs to be a first-class citizen in this organization. I, di I explicitly didn't want people thinking, oh, I'm the traditional guy, right? I'm just in the back office. I'm reorganizing database tables and I'm configuring parameters. And I guess I'll just do that for the rest of my life. And so what was very important as part of the inclusive is if you think no matter where you are, digital transformation and these new technologies don't apply to you, then stop there go back and rethink because you're approaching it wrong. And that took a lot of people by surprise because I think a lot of people expected me to say, yeah, all right, the old guys just do the old stuff and then we'll have the new exciting guys uh, do the exciting things. It was extremely important to avoid that because I think that creates kind of like a two-class system. You don't want people who are thinking, I'm just not gonna grow and I'm just gonna do the same old thing until I retire versus, oh, this is the new exciting stuff. And the reality is as we went through, in many cases, I would have to show the teams or we would brainstorm together on figuring out why even, for example, if you're in what I have as the command center, but it's our level one and kind of level 1.5 help desk on resolving tickets, right? they were like, well, what can we do? We just solve tickets all day. Uh, yes, if you think about it that way, that could be true. But if you take a more expansive view, then all these exciting things start happening, right? Well, we have lots of tickets, so we have a lot of people interacting. What can we discern about uh, you know, system stability. Can we start correlating with more proactive maintenance? Uh, hey, let's go get some AI and natural language processing to have a bot uh, as well. So we can explore some AI technology and provide better overall blended cost to serve as well as quality. Uh, and so once you start opening people's eyes to that, and then people's eyes light up, 
right? They say, oh, cool, right? I'm not just the help desk. I can pull in natural language processing. I can pull in chatbot. I can pull in AI. I can pull in right, all sorts of advanced machine learning because I have a lot of data. I can be more proactive. I can help the infrastructure team. Right? So all these things started coming out, but it, right, I, I think it took, and, and that's true at every level, right? Software-defined infrastructure for my infrastructure team. It's not just about reorganizing database tables, right? It's about the software-defined data center of the future, right? How are we going to use a software-defined WAN? And how can we actually go to self-service and provisioning, not just on IAS, but building a mix, right, on our architecture of private and public cloud for a hybrid? And so it's not just, oh, the business is where all the innovation happens, but intelligent operations and taking new technology and landing them in every part of the organization, I think, has been something uh, that I've enjoyed because that's where the fun is, right? This is what I think the art of possibility thinking is. So what we're trying to layer on top is really what new possibilities does technology unlock, especially given the very rapid and astonishing progress that's been made in the last four or five years. It sounds like uh, we all know the term two-speed IT, but from this perspective, uh, two-speed IT then is kind of a cop-out for settling for something uh, that is doesn't create as much opportunity as the possibilities that you were just describing. I, I try not to get caught up on terminology, right? And in, in my context at Lenovo, I knew that calling it two-speed, and we had actually experimented with bimodal IT and two-speed IT. And people were like, but so what am I? I'm always stuck in the low gear. And so for us, it wasn't the, and, and, and it's not to say that's other companies I know call it bimodal IT and it works fine, right? or two-speed IT, and that's fine. For our, our cultural context, the message for people was I can either be like the low speed or the high speed. Uh, and so for us, it was inclusive on just, we need, it was kind of a multi-speed, find the right speed. But by the way, you can also have the flexibility in your choice of technology uh, and deployment to find the right speed for the business at that given point. So you're not locked, so that you're not locked in. Now, you have teams in both China and in the U.S. And are there, were there cultural differences that you found in the different countries relating to these things? Yes, absolutely. I think Lenovo's path to globalization uh, is a little bit different than many other MNCs, which are much more from kind of North America or Western Europe based to the rest of the world. Right? Lenovo, as I mentioned, is now a fully global company, right? including if you look at our executive committee composition. Uh, but we started from China right? and then kind of grew outwards. Uh, so I, I think that's also been an interesting journey. I think one of the most important things about culture is really to, and we spent a lot of time over the past 10 years building what we call the Lenovo way. And that's a set of norms that help guide the interactions uh, so that we can truly be inclusive and get the benefit of the diversity of thinking in a constructive way and putting those thoughts together. Uh, one of the things, just as an example, that I think is very important is not going to extremes, understanding where the other party is coming from, right? Uh, at least culturally at Lenovo, traditionally, uh, the teams that have uh, come from China have been a bit, have tended more towards the hierarchical side, right? Let's see what the boss says, right? Let's have very clear accountability. Whereas teams that have come from more of the, the uh, North America or Western European uh, background have been more around just collaboration right? and a little bit less on the rigidity of the hierarchy. Um, and so these are just styles. There's no right or wrong. And But I find myself 
right, for teams that you have to make sure you understand what the natural style of the other team is and to figure out how to work together in spite of it. Right? I see teams where they, right, where they lapse in, and I think here is getting comfortable with shades of gray. Right? Someone who's more comfortable as a style of, and I've, I've, I've also had these discussions in different parts of my career at Lenovo, right, devolve into, wait a sec, am I in charge or are you in charge? Right? If I'm in charge, then please do exactly as I say if you're in charge, I'll be quiet and I'll do exactly as you say. And if you take it to that extreme, it's like a zero or one. And that's not right because a lot of the things happen in the middle, right? Where we can find some common ground where everyone is contributing. So I find myself having to remind the teams from a style, how do we understand and respect that so we don't fall into these extremes of, oh, right, just you do it and I'll do it. And so I think that's been an important aspect on the culture side. The second thing, I don't know if it's as much about culture, or maybe the culture here is between kind of business-focused teams and more technology-oriented teams. It, I don't know if this sounds funny to you, but I think the translation aspect consumes an inordinate amount of time, but I think it also is extremely valuable as a result. And I see this all the time, even in our executive committee meetings. I can tell someone asks a question and someone else is not answering in the way that is expected. And so we kind of go down all these side roads, whereas right, if we can just say, well, actually, I think what you're looking for is this, right? This notion of translating and being able to find the right answer using a mix of business and technology terms for what was asked is actually a huge, huge deal. I've seen teams that have gone off track for months because of something at the very start. They thought someone said something that meant A, and that's not what was meant. So I think, uh, it's not more, it's, it's more of a technology and business orientation bridge as well, but it's a different form of uh, bridging a culture divide. It sounds like communication is a very big part. Clear communication is a very clear, a very big uh, focus and a very big part of what you do. Yes. And I think that's one of the things I also underestimated coming in. Uh, and I've also had to, as we build up engineering culture, it's something that we have to account for. If we start at the leadership team level, I think even though I knew we wanted to communicate, 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 I think one thing I underestimated is it still takes time for concepts to soak in, especially new ones. Right? You have to, A, be consistent in your core message over time, but B, find ways of Right? Explore different ways of saying it because, again, different messaging works for, for different people. Uh, the second bias that I've had to fight, even for myself, is that it's not, it's, it's not technical work. I think sometimes, and I'm an engineer by training, I'm a computer science major, um, right? there's this kind of overhang in my mind that I have to actively fight that says if you're not doing something that's more technical, that's not as high value at and nothing could be further from the truth, right? especially when you're thinking about enterprise technology. My teams also have that where they think, oh, I should be writing code or doing an automated test or scripting something all the time. And if you forget the change management aspect, if you forget to communicate about what you're doing, right, then, then you've fallen into vast majority of projects or initiatives that fail to deliver value because no one knew what you were doing. Here, the litmus test that I'm imposing is, because right? when I came on as CIO and I, I kind of went on a listening tour, I found that a lot of our business group presidents, they couldn't really name even one thing that we were doing that mattered to them. 
And so then you see the importance of communication. We can be busy all year, but if our board, if our CEO and executive committee couldn't name the top three things we've done for them, then we failed, right? We're not putting our effort against the things that are most important. And so it is so incumbent upon the CIO and the team to help the business teams understand what we're doing and course correct, because maybe you do find out, and we did actually, find out we were doing too many projects. We had a long tail of projects that quite frankly, just were consuming effort without making a big difference to, uh, to the company. And so we took portfolio management actions as a result. The metric really is, did we strategically move the needle? Not how did I resource projects number 125 through 249 on my list? Or you're you're describing almost a a kind of textbook on digital transformation, and so I'm wondering, did you codify this? I mean, now it sounds like you've 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 really got all the pieces down. But how did you come to this point? Did you think it through strategically? Did it sort of evolve? Did it do both? Yeah, I think uh, there's there's a you know with all things there's probably no one answer, right? But I do think uh, from externally, there's a lot of companies that are thinking about this and there's certainly no shortage of external firms, newsletters, right? Third-party advisors who are willing to uh, give input on this. So I think that's been a useful source for me. Uh, But I think the other part is just practice. And again, I can't overemphasize, right? It's not, it's, it's definitely a journey and we're nowhere uh, near done. And so it wouldn't make sense for me to say we're, we're there. Um, I think the the key is figuring out what was relevant to us uh, externally and just even from a methodology perspective, it's been very much, let's be very open. Let's figure out all the ideas that could be relevant and have them in some kind of a framework that makes sense for us internally. And let's just start trying things, right? And as a result, I think we've gotten more and more focused on the things that actually make a difference for our employee experience, right? To get my team excited about the transformation as well as for the business. Now, with that, I think, comes the trade-off, which is, as we've explored, there have been definitely things where, like, oh, that was the wrong thing to go do. So one of the things, for example, is I thought it would be great if we could energize our frontline employees and managers by starting what I call transformation networks, right? It's like, oh, of course, why wouldn't we do this? Let's get like-minded people who are excited about transformation to uh, kind of talk about what they were doing, what's working or not, and give you know the CIO and the leadership team feedback about what or wasn't working. And that particular incarnation, we ran it for, uh, we ran it for actually about a half year, and then it, it just started to lose steam. Right? And as we dug into it, it was because the way we had done it, people perceived it as just another set of meetings, right? and we weren't doing a good, enjo- a good enough job of taking the outputs and connecting that into real changes, right? Simplifying the methodology so people had fewer hurdles to get to to approve simpler projects. Right, simplifying the timesheet management system, so could people? It was one last thing for the people to worry for our teams to worry about, and so right, we've definitely, as part of the uh, codification, it's not just what's worked. I have a a whole list of things that you know haven't worked as well, but I think there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's also very much in the spirit of agile, which is you try things if it doesn't work, but you're as long as you're continuously learning and you never, you know, kind of cut the feedback loop and you can adjust. I think that's also uh, natural as part of the evolution. What advice do you have for CIOs who are listening to this and they're traditional CIOs in a traditional environment and, and they 
they want to embrace the things that you're describing, but they're maybe not sure. They feel obstacles, impediments. What advice do you have for making that transition from being a traditional CIO to a digital CIO? So I think the first thing I would start with is actually listen. And what I mean by that is it's taking a page out of design thinking, right? But it's really, but design thinking, if you boil it down further, it's really about empathy. Right? I think we're very good in technology at packaging fundamentally simple things into things that sound a lot sexier. But design thinking is really about empathy and empathy starts with listening. One of the things I found most helpful at the start of my journey was, like I said, a, a listening tour. I went around to all the executive committee. I went around to all the geo presidents. I went around to all the senior stakeholders and just sat down. Right? Now, I was bursting with ideas, right? So I could have easily just kind of say, I've got these 25 ideas and one, two, three, four, five, right? and kind of just swamp them. But instead, I just asked them, so what do you see BTIT or the CIO organization as doing, right? Where have we done well or not? And you know, how can we partner? And so on the listening aspect, that was the first step in building trust, because I think the business said, huh, he's willing to listen. And from that, that is a willingness from listen means that people are willing to have a dialogue with you. And then once you start having a dialogue, that's where you can start to bring all these ideas you have and put them in place, not from your perspective in order of operations, but relevant for the business. And so I think it's just a big part of it is just getting started down the journey. If you can create that space and you can create the willingness to engage in the dialogue, right, that's your foot in the door. After that, the second step is once you have the dialogue, then it's time to actually uh, show you can deliver something, right? Because if you just talk all the time and then after a while, people wonder after two, three, four quarters, where's the delivery? That doesn't work very well for a sustainable trust-based relationship. And so after that, it really is then let's take the resources and make sure they align against what are the most strategically important and make sure those actually deliver. And so one of the things I've been very happy to see, for example, in my case, uh, when as I mentioned earlier, when I first came on, a lot of our senior execs couldn't even list one thing they were happy or that we had significantly done for them. And I kind of went through at a note at our kickoffs this year with a notebook. If I listened to our CEO and our business group presidents, each one of them had at least one major thing as part of their highlights for the year. That was a direct result of something we had done, calling us out by name. And so as you start to deliver, right, not only do you feel better, the business feels better. And they say, oh, we're doing things uh, together. And so I think that's also been an, as an important aspect. So the listening then is the foundational step, going to talk to these folks and hearing what's going on with them and what they want. Absolutely. Because I think they were used to a team that hadn't listened, that kind of went their own way and said, here's the roadmap, here's your technology, uh, right? Now off you go. And so I think changing the relationship to be much more partnership oriented. As I as I said, I think with technology pervading so much more of not only our consumer lives but also our lives at uh, at work, I think the traditional mindset of oh the business guys we should be right they don't know what they're doing. Let's keep them at arm's length around the technology, right? We kind of flipped that and kind of invited them in because it's it was a way of making them more committed as stakeholders and quite frankly partners in making things successful with us. And as we finish up, because we're, we're just about out of time, what advice do you have to CIOs who, who want to follow the, the, the path you've just described? 
they go to the business folks, they want to bring them in, but the resistance is just too high. They can't do it. What advice do you have for breaking down those barriers? So I think this one, you definitely have to go in with thick skin. Uh, and I think the second part is to recognize that it's not monolithic, right? When we say the business, right? If you're saying, I can't get the business, then I would uh, ask the next level question, well, who exactly? Because right? the business you're going to have, if you're like me, you'll have dozens of stakeholders. And uh, in the spirit of starting small and getting your foot in the door that way, I, I can't believe that right, for any global company with any, or any large company, you have there's always going to be a couple of people who are willing to try. And that's where you start. You find the people who are willing because that's, again, the way it works is if you're willing, then it's much more easier to achieve impact. Uh, so I wouldn't accept a statement of I can't get the business along. I would say, how do you, I think the question that we would redirect and kind of uh, transform that question would be, who are the one or two people that you could see yourself partnering with closely, even if it's doing something small to show a quick win? Because what I found is once you start showing quick wins, the, the crowding effect definitely comes in. You get one or two business leaders who said, I worked with the CIO and we did things I never thought were possible. And that actually happened to us, right? There was an old business leader previously who said, oh, you guys are the team of quarters, if not years of delivery roadmaps. You guys want like $100,000 to talk to me and you want $10 million for every project, right? To six months later, he's like, I can't believe it, right? We're doing things and releasing every couple of weeks, right? We're working together closely, right? I, I, right? And, and so, and this was a respected business leader. And then people were like, huh, if, if he says that, then maybe I should go have some more discussions with the CIO team to see what they could do for me. And so I would not approach it as an all or nothing, uh, right? At any, right, I, I, I in any large organization, there will definitely be people who are willing to, uh, to embrace. And along the willingness, I think you find people who are excited and then you get the flywheel effect going when you get more people excited and talking about it. I think that mentality of, well, if all those people are doing it, then I should be thinking about it as well starts to. Wow. Well, that was uh, very, very practical and seemingly simple, but not not so simple if you dig down uh, below the surface and, and very wise advice. Arthur Hu, thank you so much for spending this 45 minutes with us. Michael, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We have been speaking with Art Hu, who is the global CIO of Lenovo, a $42 billion company, one of the largest companies in the world. And he has just given us a college-level course on digital transformation. Art, thanks again, and I hope you'll come back another time. Thank you again, Michael. Everybody. I want you again right now to tell your friends and subscribe on YouTube. Check our website out. We have amazing shows that are coming up. And thank you so much. And I hope you have a great day. Bye-bye.